This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This week on WealthTrack, a rare interview with perennially top-ranked economist Nancy Lazar on the prospects for the economic recovery, now the third longest on record. Nancy Lazar is next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. How long can this economic recovery last without slipping into recession? The longest economic expansion in the U.S. lasted exactly 10 years or 120 months. That was from the trough in the economy in March of 1991 to its peak in March of 2001. According to the National Bureau of Economic Research, or NBER, the current recovery started at the bottom of the last recession in June of 2009 and is still going, eight years or 96 months later, making it the third oldest on records kept since the 1850s. Does long in the tooth mean a short life ahead? Not necessarily, says this week's guest. She is Nancy Lazar, co-founder, partner, and head of the economics team at Cornerstone Macro, an independent macroeconomic investment and policy research firm she launched in 2013. She has been ranked one of the street's top economists by Institutional Investor Magazine for the past 16 years, including being ranked number one in 2015 and number two the prior four years, just behind her former business partner of 20 years, WealthTrack guest Ed Hyman. Several years ago, Lazar identified some major structural changes in the U.S. economy, which made her a believer in its staying power. One is the manufacturing renaissance occurring in the old Rust Belt and other industrial areas. Another is the revitalization of domestic energy production. Two other contributing factors, low interest rates and modest inflation, have made the U.S. an attractive place to do business and create jobs. I began the conversation by asking her if those favorable conditions are still intact as the economic expansion approaches record-breaking longevity. Absolutely. It's not been smooth sailing. You had a big bump in energy, particularly last year, 15 and 16. Even in the manufacturing space, you've had ups and downs. But net, there is a clear transformation going on globally where the United States is indeed increasingly energy independent through all of the shale and investment companies are doing here. And on the manufacturing side, China has pretty much almost put themselves out of business. They're no longer competitive. And so the bigger theme is if you sell it in the United States, you make it in the United States. And so uh, absolutely, that is still very much a passionate theme that I have. And it's unfolding, albeit up and down. Right. And so tell me where you're seeing it unfolding. One way you see it in my world is when you look at U.S. imports from China as a share of our economy, they've actually peaked in 2010. Wow. um, And moved down some in 15 and have come back a little bit. But our, our trade with China is already turning. So that is clearly one of the areas that you're, you're seeing. We're importing less at the margin from China 
And so uh, you're making, you are indeed making more stuff here in the United States. You've also seen, certainly seen it in the stock uh, and the stock market and individual companies that do tend to do more investing, build stuff here in the United States. Because one of the, the, the criticisms um, and, and I guess the concerns about a lot of other economists has been the fact that business, that capital expenditures have not been as robust as, as one would expect. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, debt issuance by corporations because of low interest rates. Yeah. And instead of spending it on investments, what they've been doing is that they've been buying back stock. And, and they've also been paying you know, dividends. So it's, it's more shareholder-friendly and less economy-friendly. How do you, you know, kind of balance those, the, those two trends? So when we first started to talk about the Renaissance back in 2010, I did think we were going to have an extended uh, capital spending cycle in the right. United States, possibly breaking out on the upside, and it did not. And with hindsight, I would say our very, very high corporate tax rate was probably one of the key reasons that just didn't happen. It doesn't pay companies to invest in the United States, even though at the margin you're seeing the shift with China. When you look at our tax rate, effective rate including states, at 39%. It's the highest in the world, um, except for maybe one or two very, very small uh, economies. Companies invest outside of the United States. And so I think our very high corporate tax rate did come back to haunt us a little bit in this renaissance and, and hold definitely has held things, things back. So if, if we were to look at the Trump agenda, would that, would, would lowering the corporate tax rate be actually give the boost to the economy that, that his people are saying it would? It would be a game changer. Really? It, it would make, be so, I think, exciting for the United States. Now, the question is, when would it be a game changer? I'm not at all convinced it will be a game changer in the next year or two. Hopefully it does indeed take place next year. Uh, but it would be a game changer for the next Next expansion, sometime 2021, there's going to be a recession one of these days. Uh, and indeed, that would then, the combination of the investment boom in China over and a lower corporate tax rate competitive globally here in the United States, I think we then really would see the manufacturing renaissance take off and a, a secular shift up in capital spending in the United States. Again, if you sell it here, you make it here. Two years ago on WealthTrack, uh, you, know, you, you told us that the, the U.S. Was, was resuming its role as the driver of world economic growth and kind of overtaking China, which had, which had assumed that role. Why are, are we kind of moving forward and China is not? The easiest way to think about China is that it was a bubble, similar to our housing bubble, similar to the tech bubble in the 1990s, i.e. They, they invested way too much. They spent way too much money. They overbuilt and now they're having to pay for that consequence. And after you've had an, a bubble in any industry, again, our tech bubble or Japan mm -hmm. in, the, in the 80s, you never resume that growth just because you can't. Uh, you have to unwind the excesses that you've put in place. China's had excess investment, excess debt, and now they're in the process of unwinding that. And so indeed, the US, in dollar terms, is growing faster uh, than, than China, has taken over as the driver of global, of global growth. And yet, you know, obviously we had our huge housing and credit bubble ourselves. Are the excesses from that experience, have they been totally wrung out of the economy? I mean, are we on a, you know, on much sounder footing now? Well, unfortunately, there always seems to be something else that pops up. Right. Housing, this expansion, has been slow to moderate. And that's a beautiful example of what happens once a bubble bursts. It's never exuberant again. Um, Never again in this cycle. In this cycle. Okay. The next expansion, it certainly could come back. But right. housing's had a healthy, albeit slow to moderate, I'd say, compared to what most people 
uh, would have would have expected. But there are other areas potentially that are now growing too quickly or are excesses that will help to contribute to say the next uh, the next the next recession. And and what are those areas that where you're seeing excesses growing? Well. Uh, Corporate profit margins actually um, have started to deteriorate, and the reason and profit margins are obviously how much money you're 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 making relative to your costs, and cost of doing business has gone up a lot, and as a result, it's more difficult for companies to make money. And as profit margins start to deteriorate, you actually have to start cutting back on your spending. And so, if there's an excess, I'd say there are two, and it's in corporate America. One, it's too much debt, as you were suggesting, mm-hmm. but two, it's too many people. Mm-hmm. Companies have hired too many people, increased their labor costs, contributing to uh, the declining trend we're seeing in corporate profit margins. Is that being reflected in the unemployment rate? Bingo. Yes. Uh, the, the, the labor market is tight. And you know, to be sure, there are still plenty of people who would like to be employed, who can't be employed in part because they don't have skills. But at the end of the day, the labor market is tight, and that is uh, creating upward pressure on Wage inflation, which is great for the consumer. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's terrific that the consumer is finally getting a pay increase. But at the same time, it's not so good for companies. And as a result, their profit margins are getting squeezed. And that's classically, in in, in my world, a sign of a late stages of the business cycle. Um, And so the business cycle is not dead as, as much as I think people today would like to think that it is. So late stage of the business cycle, we are nearly eight years into the economic expansion, the third longest on record. And so how late are we in this cycle? So one of, one of my little uh, pet peeves is that um, it's not age. Uh, okay. It's when excesses start to show up, um, and that's when the business cycle starts to get too old and starts to fade and risks increasing a recession. So... Our, we have a statistical way of measuring where we are in the business mm-hmm. cycle, and our best guess is a recession is two and a half years down the road. Um, so it's not 2018, more like t- mid-2019, late, 2000 uh, late 2019. If we got tax cuts from the administration, it might indeed extend it, to be sure, because obviously people, companies might incrementally, would, would hopefully have an incremental more money in their mm-hmm. pockets. But uh, given where the unemployment rate is, given what wage inflation is doing, given what prop- profit margins are doing, banks are tightening lending standards, which is also a sign that there are credit issues, a classic late cycle phenomena, uh, at, another couple of years before we probably have the next recession. And what impact is the Fed starting to raise rates having on, on the, uh, the hastening us towards a recession? Or? Probably not too much. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, Roberto Perley, my colleague, highlights the Fed has no intention of derailing the, the economy. Right. Odds are they're going to tighten rather slowly rather than quickly. Uh, they are tightening because they do see this tightness in the labor market, which is longer-term and inflationary, uh, inflationary backdrop, so they're acting responsibly, but they're not going to pull the rug, those would be my words, out from underneath the economy and tighten aggressively. Um, I would argue that the recession could indeed not necessarily happen because of the Fed, maybe incrementally contributed, but come from companies actually uh, cutting costs and affecting uh, the employment backdrop uh, and the unemployment rate, and banks tightening lending standards um, re- restricting credit and contributing to a slowdown in uh, overall both business and consumer spending. Right. And so the bank lending uh, tightening, is this because of regulation? Um, or or it's, it's, you said it's, it's really it's credit deterioration. So are they saying, seeing that in consumers, uh, among they consumers? They are. Or? They are. That banks are ask, acting responsibly. Right. And, and in talking to bank analysts, 
No, it's not really because of regulations. Mm -hmm. It is simply because they are seeing a deterioration in the quality of loans. Delinquency rates are going up. People are late in paying back their bills. And as a responsible business, they're responding to that, and they are right. tightening lending standards. The auto sector is where you're seeing it most clearly, and there's no debate, quite frankly, uh, about what's going on in the auto sector. You had a very rapid credit cycle in autos. For whatever reason, not sure why, but mm -hmm. uh, the banks and, and the auto industry were very aggressive in making auto loans early in the expansion. Um, and unfortunately, they made too many. Sounds right. familiar. <laughs> um, uh, and now, again, as the employment backdrop, income backdrop start, starts to deteriorate, um, I have a saying, weak links always crack first. That, that, that last borrower, who was probably not high credit quality, is now del going delinquent, and banks are pulling back. Right. And you're seeing that in auto sales. Auto sales are actually down, mm -hmm. um, and that's because banks are tightening lending standards. You are predicting sluggish growth for the rest of 2017, yes. so about, what, 1.5%? 1.5%, yep. Why? So the, there was an expectation going into 2017, maybe in part because of hope that the administration would uh, create a stronger economic backdrop, growth would indeed accelerate. Um, instead, we've been more cautious on growth. We have growth slowing down to about 1.5%. Uh, first, the, uh, you did have an inflation spike earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Spike in today's terms, you accelerated from about 0 in 15, uh, about 1 in 16, up to 3% in the first part of this year. So if uh, wages are growing about 2.5%, your real purchasing power as a consumer got squeezed. And so that helped to contribute to the slowdown in consumer spending in the first quarter. And on top of that, uh, what's going on in the auto industry, banks tightening lending standards. Mm -hmm. So we've been expecting this slowdown in consumer spending. We've clearly gotten it. Second, we've also been very cautious on China. Um, China through the first quarter uh, was stronger than I expected, to be sure. Uh, but now you're starting to see China slow. And at the end of the day, that'll come home and hit U.S. manufacturing activity, along with the slowdown that we're seeing in U.S. consumer will also hit U.S. US manufacturing uh, activity. So really those two, two forces. And a recent report, it, I think it was hope versus reality. Yeah. And so the, the hope was, again, new administration coming in with a pro-growth agenda, not happening as quickly. And so what's, what is the reality going to be in 2018, do you think? Now, well, in 2018, I would still hope for uh, corporate tax reform, corporate tax cuts, although my colleague Andy LaPerriere would say, don't get too excited about that happen, happening quickly. Right. Here in 17, I think the hope trade is, is, is deflating, albeit slowly, it is deflating. And that will just further contribute to a slower growth economy here in 2017. In 18, uh, we'll be watching to see if uh, Congress, uh, the administration, can get their acts together and actually put in place some uh, fiscal stimulus through the tax cuts. And then hopefully uh, in 18, we could see a pickup in economic activity, um, at least in the first part of the year. How dependent is the economy, again, in, in the late stages of recovery? How dependent is it? upon stimulus from Washington. I yeah. mean, it used to be dependent upon monetary stimulus. Now we're talking about fiscal stimulus, yeah. right? So it, it, it would definitely create a pickup in economic activity if individuals had their taxes cut and right. corporations had their taxes cut. So very dependent. I mean, we would need that. But the problem is, as the Fed actually has highlighted, fiscal stimulus at this late stage of the business cycle doesn't give you a sustained expansion. It just temporarily pulls demand forward. And if anything, in the back half of 18 into 19, again, the economy is likely to, to, to slow down because you have to deal with these business cycle headwinds like banks tightening, tightening lending, lending standards. 
And uh, you know, the rest of the world, let's, let's talk about Europe. What is the shape of Europe these days? Uh, the What's e your assessment? The easy answer on Europe, it's okay. But there's a lot of enthusiasm and hope right now actually for Europe. Policy oh. uncertainty may be fading. Um, and as a result, we hear from the investment community that the Eurozone markets are likely to outperform uh, the US markets. We again, though, fear that hope is too extended in Europe. Um, that the underlying trend in economic activity there also will be on the somewhat softer side. Uh, they are very tied to, uh, to China, Germany in particular, oh. let alone France and Italy on the luxury side, Germany on the, um, on the industrial side. Their exports were driven very, very uh, sharply uh, by China, and now those exports are going to start to fade. So a little bit of a slowdown in Europe. Um, and, and we would be more cautious on Europe than I think consensus is. Not bearish, but just a little bit more cautious on Europe. And the, the central bank effect in Europe with ECB, are, are they starting to you know, pull back a little yeah. bit? Or? No, no question that they're at the end of their stimulative policy, too. Not that they're going to tighten anytime soon. Again, central bankers around the world have no intention of derailing the global economies. Europe's going to be behind the United States for a couple of years, but they're growing more slowly. Uh, they they uh, still have a very high unemployment rate. They don't have the tight labor market that we have today, and so they're not facing the, the, the business cycle headwinds that, that we are. How much attention are you paying to, the, you know, the, to populism, uh, obviously to Trump, uh, you know, Theresa May in the UK, and uh, obviously Marine Le Pen uh, did not win, and she was defeated pretty soundly by Macron in France. But you know, what's, how do you figure that into your economic and market outlook? Well, again, I look at it very much from an economist's perspective. Right. Is why are you having these rumblings, say, particularly in the United States and in Europe? And I would argue a lot of it has to do with the lack of investment in countries. In the United States, what's impeded us is our, our high corporate tax rate. In Europe, it's regulation. It's not the same as it is in mm -hmm. the United States. Some of those countries have lowered their corporate tax rates. hasn't made much of a difference because they have other headwinds to businesses uh, actually growing in those countries, particularly France. Um, uh, even in Germany with the high unions, high labor costs. And so I think the lack of investment in the developed world in general right. for individual reasons has created a, a, a working class growing up in Flint, Michigan. Uh, people just haven't been able to get jobs. Not mm -hmm. everybody needs to go to college, shouldn't have to go to college to get a job, um, should be getting other training programs to get a job. So I'm quite excited longer term with this recognition that you have to make uh, it easier for businesses to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, with, with that, hopefully you can start to employ more and more people and ease some of this populist uh, turmoil. A very prevalent opinion is that because of technology that, that we can't create jobs in, developed, you know, in the developed world for people that aren't college educated, you know, highly skilled, whatever. And you're saying that's not the case, right? I'm a huge fan of this creative destruction idea uh -huh. and that you have to allow industries to die and through that you get new industries, new skills. Um, if I can make a plug for a movie, Hidden Figures, yes. one of the most exciting things in that movie for me was uh, the women recognizing that they needed a new skill and she needed to learn how to run the IBM. Right. And indeed she learned it, otherwise their jobs were going to disappear. 
And I, that to me was one of the most exciting things about that movie. And so uh, they grew. They became stronger, more key in the development of the space program. And I would use that as a great example how indeed creative destruction created smarter people. Mm -hmm. And they grabbed it and, uh, and, and, and were, were major parts of, of the space program in the United States. So. Right. So, so, so education that's not necessarily liberal arts education, no. but certainly you know, the kind of skills that can meet the needs of a, of a high-tech society uh, doesn't require a college degree. It no, can, trading no. programs. Um, when right. I graduated from high school, uh, most of my high school graduating class went to a trade school. Right. Good for them. Mm -hmm. That's what they wanted to do. That's where the, the jobs were. And so we need a broader footprint of jobs in this country instead of uh, the narrow footprint we've, we've had. And so that's why, again, the manufacturing renaissance idea to me and the energy renaissance idea to me create jobs, albeit not the same jobs back in the 70s or 80s, um, quite frankly, they're better jobs today. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Creative destruction's been going on for centuries. Right. What kind of jobs is technology, you know, creating when, when we're, it seems like we're going into a robot society where everything's kind of going to be automated? Well, Greg Ip actually wrote a great article in the Wall Street Journal saying, mm -hmm. if anything, we need more robots, mm -hmm. not less robots. Robots create new jobs. The classic retail industry uh, the brick-and-mortar retail industry should die. Mm -hmm. uh, there are new ways in which we can all shop. Um, right. And as a result, there are new jobs that are created uh, uh, for those industries. Mm -hmm. I look at what's going on with the delivery uh, companies, Federal Express, UP, UPS, the warehouse industry. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, if you stagnate, you die. Uh, you have to allow change, and through change, you actually create new jobs. I don't know what they're all going to be. Right. But, but no one does. No, right. Yeah, right. And, and at the end of the day, technology is a positive, not a negative, uh, for long-term long growth. Uh, investment implications of, you know, of relatively slow growth this year, and you know, depending upon uh, the, what happens in Washington, you know, maybe faster growth next year or not. What, what's your view at Cornerstone Macro of, of, of the market, levels in the market right now, and what the outlook is? So my other colleague, Francois Trahan, right. would highlight that indeed expectations are way too high okay. uh, right now. And I would totally agree with that as, as far as the confidence data uh, did, in, did indeed expect stronger growth here in 2017, and you're not getting it. So now the way we describe it on the economic side is that the soft data, the confidence data, the NHB, uh, the PMIs, consumer confidence, all now to need to come down to uh, the hard data, the reality. And as a result, we think the market's going through a period of digestion is likely to be weaker rather than stronger, although the overall market's not down within it. Uh, as Francois highlighted, you've, you've clearly seen the market become concerned about growth, mm -hmm. and we think that continues for most of the year. So for most of this year, is, yes. is there anything that he sees that's going to turn the well, market around that would give it another, you know, leg up? Uh, for this year, probably not, not. into 18. That's where uh, we actually view from the economic side the slowdown in the economy is good news, not bad news. Mm -hmm. As a result of the slowdown in the economy, all of a sudden inflation is slowing, as we saw with the CPI data that we've seen for the first part of the year. After spiking into January and February, inflation is now starting to slow. That's good for the consumer. Mm -hmm. At the same time, bond yields. Mortgage rates look like they were going up significantly. Now, all of a sudden, they've come down, have stabilized at a lower rate. That's good for the economy. Right. So that will help growth as we go into 2018, um, even if we don't get a tax, uh, tax cut, at least some. And then that would also then help uh, the market. But we're not there yet.
which leads me to the final question of this interview, and that is the uh, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. And yeah. the last time you were on a couple of years ago, you recommended a dollar ETF, which did extremely well. Thank you, Nancy Lazar. Mm. So what would, what would it be now? Well, I would go back to focusing on the US, uh, US economy in general, um, and particularly the industrial space. The problem is they've run a lot lately, mm -hmm. but you, you use the right word, long-term investment. And so uh, companies that build stuff in this country specifically, um, be from the infrastructure programs that obviously will take place. Again, some of these are maybe a little expensive right now and could mm -hmm. come off here in 2017, but any weakness in these stocks we would view as buying, buying, buying opportunities, domestic construction-oriented companies. Really a treat to have you on, Nash Lazar yeah. from Cornerstone nice. Macro. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for Great. your time. Appreciate it. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is beware of falling into a false sense of security about the economy and markets. The slow and steady nature of the economic recovery has been reassuring. But as Nancy Lazard noted, the business cycle is still very much alive, and this expansion is well along in years. Investors have also become complacent a widely followed measure of market fear, the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, recently touched nearly quarter-century lows. Low market volatility is typical during expansions, but again, we are also in the late stages of a bull market. Some caution is warranted on both fronts, and some precautionary measures, such as increasing your rainy day funds or raising some cash in portfolios, might be a good idea. Well, next week, we're going to search for income in the taxable and tax-free bond markets with managers from two highly rated mutual funds, Thornburg's Jeff Klingenhofer and Nick Venditti will join us. To see this program again, more of our interview with Nancy Lazar and other WealthTrack interviews, please go to our website, WealthTrack.com. Also, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.